Hey folks, this is Kurt Frankum, and I am so excited to once again welcome back John Hilton third here at, on the Leading Saints podcast. John has been incredible. Uh, I call him a friend now. I just love everything he creates, everything he does, everything he is. And uh, he's had some past episodes at Leading Saints. We'll link to those in the show notes that have been phenomenal. I think it was the most downloaded episode of, was it 2020? Talks about fence laws. Just go to Google and search for Leading Saints Fence Laws. Listen to that episode and you're going to understand why John Hilton is so awesome. He reached out to me recently and told me about a cool series that he's doing via YouTube on the Book of Mormon Central YouTube channel. And I've jumped into it and absolutely love it. It's called Seeking Jesus. And I think it's going to have 28, 29 uh, sessions in this online course that's absolutely free to watch uh, via YouTube, obviously. So we're going to talk about this in this episode. And just to give you a quick bio on John, he was born in San Francisco and grew up in Seattle. He served a mission in Denver and got a bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University. While there, he met his wife, Lanny, and they have six children. They have lived in Boise, Boston, Miami, Mexico, Jerusalem, and China. John has a master's degree from Harvard and a PhD from BYU, both in education. John is a professor of religious education at BYU. He's published several books with Deseret Book, including Considering the Cross, How Calvary Connects Us with Christ. That's my favorite of his books. He is also the author of the video course and podcast Seeking Jesus. John loves teaching, reading, and spending time with his family. So, and just a quick description of what the Seeking Jesus course is, is it's a course focused on helping you learn about Christ from the scriptures and other sources such as modern prophets, music, artwork, movies, and modern scholarship. It covers topics such as Christ as the Creator, the Savior's miracles, Paul's testimony of Christ, a Savior with a sword, and many others. It also shows you how to use online tools and other resources to deepen your study of Jesus Christ. So let's get into it, jump into this conversation that I had the opportunity to chat with John Hilton at his office on the campus of Brigham Young University. the coolest job in the world. I just got done talking with Anthony Sweat on one floor, and then I get on the elevator and go down a floor, and I get to talk with John Hilton. Here I am, John. We, we're back at it again. How are you? So good. Great to be with you, Kurt. Yeah. Now, you are your Leading Saints famous because I think it was 2021 or 2020, you had the most downloaded episode, and you're still in our top 10 with, we talked all things about fence laws, right? My grandma like, it just keeps downloading it over and over and over <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah, I, I don't believe it. I, you have a lot of grandmas if you do, so. <laughs> but I'm glad, I mean, you have an open door. Anytime you want to be, you can, t- here, take the podcast. It's yours, John. So I'm just always excited to have you back on here. And the door's always open to talk about some things. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus, right? I can't think of a better topic. All right, I know. So you have a recent, and I'm, I'm curious, like, because you've written a lot of books. And there's probably more books in your future, but now you're focusing on doing sort of a, a course online through, and it's through Book of Mormon Central. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Right. And it's all about seeking Jesus. Yeah. That's and, the- and, and so why, why a course? Why not write another book? Like what led you to actually doing this through a more modern approach? Well, a lot of times people will come to me for advice. They'll say, oh, I'm thinking about writing a book on such and such a topic. You know, what's your counsel? And I always say, why are you writing a book? Because a lot of people don't read. If your goal is to get the content out there, maybe you should make a video or a podcast. And so I thought maybe I would take my own advice this time. And so the course is called Seeking Jesus. You can 
search it on YouTube or whatever podcast app. And basically, it's all about connecting with Jesus Christ. And again, the hope is just more people I think are listening probably this podcast right now. Certainly more people listen to the Fence Laws podcast than ever will read the book that I wrote on the topic. Right, it's right. just like, that's yeah, how we how are consuming information. Yeah. And there's a ton of content out there. So you can't really blame people for not reading every book, even if it really interests them. Right. So I think it's a great approach and having it available through platforms like YouTube makes it really easy. And and so I hope people check it out, but we're going to jump into this topic. And in my mind, with this topic related to your teachings, I love the Considering the Cross book that you wrote. And I'm actually on my way. It's Monday. On Friday, I fly off to Israel and mm. I get it for my first time going to the Holy Land. And I actually downloaded the Considering the Cross book again, the, the audio book. I want to consume it because going there, is, I'm not the type that's like, hey, look at this bone and look at this brick. It's really it's a great old. rock. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Let me tell you about the Jews back in Christ's time. And that, that'll be great and interesting. And I'll, I'll listen. But like, I want like that book just helped me just approach the cross, not because I needed to learn anything, but everybody needs to just stand at the foot of the cross and you just feel the love of God and you just want to be better. So as I go to the middle, you know, to the Holy Land, it's more of like, I don't necessarily need to know all this stuff, but I want to have a Jesus experience there. And I think we don't need to go across the world to do that. And I think that's part of your point here is every day we can have them at the center of our life. Absolutely. And one of the things that I noticed, at least, in, and this might just be me, but I noticed that in my own life, there were lots of ways where Christ probably should have been at the center, yeah. but he wasn't. A basic example that probably lots of people are familiar with is the plan of salvation drawing. So if yeah. you were to kind of imagine in your mind, plan of salvation, you probably see some lines and some circles. The veil is always squiggly. Right. So. <laughs> but the standard drawing that at least I grew up with doesn't have Jesus in it. Whereas in reality, Jesus is at the center of the plan of salvation. He's mm -hmm. a key part of every aspect of the plan. But when my MTC teacher asked me to come up and diagram the plan of salvation on the board, well, first of all, my mind went blank and I didn't know what to draw anyways. And once she had drawn it out, I realized, oh, yeah, I could have done that. But it's not till much later that I've saw it. that was kind of an inferior drawing because it missed the mark of Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. And I often see this in applied where maybe someone goes through a tough time or loses a loved one and we default to the doctrine of the plan of salvation. And we say, isn't it great that we have a plan? In reality, and we're seeking healing for them through the plan of salvation, when in reality, Christ is the one that heals and they need Jesus, not necessarily this diagram, right? But we can just naturally default to these these concepts that feel like Jesus isn't in because that's how we learn it, when in reality, he's deeply in these things, right? Yeah. And I think most of us, especially everyone probably who's participating in this podcast today, we do focus on Jesus Christ. We believe in him. It's just that sometimes maybe there could be outward dressing that can even obscure how central Jesus Christ is, just like with that example you said. Yeah. Or another example, think about a stereotypical child's testimony. I want to bear my testimony that... I know the church is true. That's crazy. Where yeah. did you grow up, Kurt? <laughs> well, in the church, that's for sure. Because I grew up in Seattle, but I've asked people like from all around the US. And yeah. if there's any international listeners, I'd love for to find out if this is an international phenomenon or just in America. But that's crazy. Yeah. Everywhere you go, like that is the statement. And maybe there'll be one more thing. I love my family. And that's probably the end of the testimony. Mm -hmm. And I certainly don't want to be critical of a child's testimony, but it makes me wonder, like, how did that happen? And the church is true. That's definitely important. Right. But the prophet Joseph Smith said, the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day and ascended into heaven, and all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. So how do we help a child's testimony 
be centered on Jesus Christ, this root rather than yeah. other things. Yeah. And this is an interesting phenomenon. That I think isn't just a Latter-day Saint problem, but it just, it's a human nature thing that it's not like anybody woke up and said, I'm going to talk about Jesus less today, but it's just through our traditions, our habits, our routines. Suddenly we realize, oh, my child just said, I know the church is true rather than their relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah. And, and going back to your observation about the cross in Jerusalem, it wasn't until I lived in Jerusalem for a year and started to be surrounded with the cross all the time as a symbol that I started to realize how little I personally had focused on Christ's crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And this is a really important part of the Savior's atoning sacrifice. And I think like what you just said, because of culture, certain things can become invisible mm -hmm. to us. Whereas like once I start to become conscious of it, then I say, okay, what could I be doing differently as a parent to, I don't want to script my child's testimony in any way, but I want to be teaching them in such a way that their testimony is rooted in Jesus Christ. I know my heavenly father lives. I know Jesus Christ really is my savior and loves me. Mm -hmm. Those might be some of the key points that I want deep in their heart. Yeah. So as you put together a course like this, like, is it a skill set? Is it just a, a reframing? Like, how do we begin to make sure that we're putting Christ at the center? That's a great question. I think that there's probably lots of ways to do it. I do think that part of it, like probably the biggest thing is just a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. Once my mind is thinking differently, I had a really poignant conversation with a mentor of mine. He was about 20 years older than I am. So I'm in my forties. He's in his sixties. And he was feeling really discouraged because one of his children had left the church and not only left the church, but quit believing in Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And he said to me something like, I could understand if my child got tripped up over a church history issue, but how could he leave Jesus? Yeah. And then he said to me, and, and this, is, oh, this is his observation, I wonder if people like me, meaning people in my 60s, when we were teaching you, people in your 40s, we focus so much on the church is true that we didn't focus enough on Jesus is real and he's your savior. Mm. And so I think once I, for me, that was a paradigm shift to think in my home. And there's all sorts of things that start to manifest. I started listening to the prayers that I was saying and that my children were saying. We had a lot of Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this day. A lot of prayers to have fun. I mean, if that prayer is answered, my family has got the most fun of any family <laughs> on the planet. But not a lot of I'm thankful for Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. Not as much bless us with the strength of Jesus in our hearts today. Help us to be like him. And, and who knows, maybe you're right now you're judging me. You're like, holy cow, Hilton's got the worst prayers ever. You know? But as I listen to like, you know, other prayers, I start to wonder, okay, how could I make Jesus more the center of my prayer? And I think just all sorts of tiny little behaviors start to become more visible once I've got this paradigm of, I really want to focus on Jesus. Yeah. And by the way, if I can say that one of the things that really led me to this is a consistent message from President Nelson along these lines. Here's just one example of many that could be shared. But President Nelson said, the more you learn about the Savior, the easier it will be to trust in his mercy, his infinite love, his strengthening, healing, and redeeming power. And that's one of many examples where President Nelson is saying, hey, you've got to focus more on Jesus Christ. Learn everything you can about the Savior. And I think that's an important message for us today. Yeah. And I love the, um, actually your colleague, uh, Michael Goodman pointed this out to me, but you look at second Nephi and Nephi's journey with the savior. Like in the, in the beginning, he uses sort of more general phrases when talking about deity or, or Christ, but in, near the end, he, he talks about Jesus as my Jesus hmm. who redeemed my soul. Like there's this relationship there. And so I often use that uh, in different presentations, sort of an invitation, like how can we get to a point where we're describing Jesus as my Jesus? It's not like Jesus Christ, the you know 
the redeemer of the world, you know, this, and which are all true, but like this intimate relationship with the Savior, like even the how we address him is is important or, or it says something about our faith. Yeah. In fact, that reminds me of this experience that I still remember. It happened when I was 12 or 13 years old. I'm in a youth Sunday school class and the teacher asked a question. I raised my hand and I say, it's Jesus. And that was the correct answer. And then one of my classmates said to me, John, don't say that word. It's not respectful. You should say Christ. And I was really you know, embarrassed that I had said the wrong word <laughs> by, by using the, the name Jesus. But then I, as I've later, as an adult gone back, I found many verses like the one you just quoted from Second Nephi, where mm-hmm. Nephi says, I glory in my Jesus. Yeah. There's lots of verses like pray in the name of Jesus, call upon the name of Jesus, believe on the name of Jesus, just over and over dozens of verses like that. And it's made me wonder if somehow, for, I don't know, for me growing up, I maybe it was just that one moment or later that I started to feel like, oh, I shouldn't use the word Jesus very often. It's disrespectful. And I know that there's a passage in the Doctrine and Covenants that says that to avoid too frequent repetition of his name, mm-hmm. we change the name of the priesthood to Melchizedek priesthood. But I wonder, like, maybe there's a pendulum and there's a balance where, yes, you can probably say Christ's name disrespectfully. You can say the name Jesus too much where it becomes inappropriate, perhaps. But at least for me in my life, I think I might have swung to the other side where I didn't say his name enough. Yeah. And it almost has this flavor of like, it's too evangelical. I think they've sort of done better at maybe owning this, this concept of Jesus and, as, and, or my Jesus, you know, having a personal relationship there. But I've really pushed myself to try and speak of him more, especially around my children, right? That this isn't just this far off God that's all powerful. This is a savior who wants to enter your life and, and heal you in ways that you never, you could never imagine. Yeah. And the Book of Mormon, it's not, I mean, you're right. I think, I think you're exactly right that maybe to distinguish ourselves from evangelicals who use the name Jesus a lot, maybe some of us said, well, I'm not going to do that. But it, it's done in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Book of Mormon prophets and others yeah. frequently use the name Jesus. So we don't have to let go of that. Yeah. So what would you say, like what, you know, looking into the, you know, from a leadership perspective, you know, we're creating these events, these experiences where people, and we often hear that, you know, we, we're here to bring people unto Jesus and to Christ, right? And sometimes that that seems we get it, but it's sort of a it's less tangible. Like I don't know what to do with that. And we're here, aren't we? Like, aren't we doing enough? Or just read your scriptures and go to the temple. Like you'll do that. But from like, how can we better do this so that that we literally are bringing them to Jesus Christ so that they can be healed? Because I think it goes back to what you're saying about your friend in his sixties that I felt like as a youth where there's sort of this feeling of I need a testimony. I need to be able to state something that. I believe in in something that I know it's true rather than I have had a, an experience with Jesus Christ. One of my colleagues, Josh Shears, said something that really has shaped the way that I've thought about my scripture study. He said, I'm just paraphrasing here, but he said, what if instead of focusing on scripture study, we focused on Christ study? Hmm. So this week I'm doing come follow me with my family, but my goal is not to just check a box and say we did it. I'm looking for Christ in the Come Follow Me chapters. And if it's hard to find Christ in those specific chapters, I'm putting a little extra effort into it because the whole point is not to just get through a few chapters, it's to study Christ. And same thing with temple attendance. And when I go to the temple, am I going to check a box or you know, even just to do an ordinance or am I really going to connect with Jesus Christ? I think it's a mindset. Mm. And when I go to the temple and say, okay, this is my worship Christ time, then I view the experience differently. Yeah. And so when you say worship Christ time, what does that look like? Because 
you know, you say worship, that now's time for a worship service in, or worshiping in, in evangelical tradition, and they're listening to music, and they're sort of just in a meditative, you know, steel, and they're just thinking of him, right? And so what, when you say worship Jesus time, like, and obviously there's no right answer for this, but for you personally, like, what does that look like? For me personally, it entails just thinking a little bit more about Jesus. I'll be honest, a lot of times um, when I've gone to the temple and even today, like I'll go with the problem on my mind. Mm -hmm. So I'm just thinking about this problem and what insights and revelation I'll have. And I'm certainly not saying that's a bad thing to do. I think that's a great thing to do in the temple. But maybe in addition to that, I'm spending some time where I'm really thinking about the ordinance and how does this relate to Jesus Christ? Where am I seeing the Savior in here? Or another great example is the sacrament. The sacrament's an ordinance that can become you know, almost so commonplace that it can glide by and I don't even realize, yeah. oops, I missed it because I was thinking about something else. But the Apostle Paul in Corinthians says that when you take the bread and water, you shew, it's S-H-E-W, the Savior's mm -hmm. death. And I don't know if you've ever read that verse. I'm like, I never use the word shoe in yeah. common conversation. <laughs> but if you look it up, the, it, the Greek root means something like to publicly proclaim or testify of. So Paul's saying when you take the bread and water, you are publicly testifying of the death of Jesus Christ. And for me, that's changed the sacrament worship part. So I, I try to focus a little bit more and think about, okay, right now as I'm taking this bread, I'm taking this water, I am publicly testifying of the Savior's death and resurrection. And then that, even if it's not fast Sunday or if I don't bear my testimony that day, I've done it in that ordinance. And that's one thing that kind of helps me get into a worship mode. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to leaders? Like, how can they create an experience to stimulate that? Obviously we can't force it on people. You know, we, can't, this is, you will now be impacted by Jesus Christ. Let it be said. Right. So is there more that we could do generally speaking, and also in the context of a parent, right? To, so that they have more of a worship experience rather than just sit and listen. So I do think that one thing that's important, and this is a true principle for all leadership things, is that we have to be living the principle ourselves. So if if in my life, I'm more of being a box checker rather than a Christ studier, there's an opportunity for me. Mm -hmm. And even if you're an amazing individual like President Nelson, and I, I bring up President Nelson specifically because when he was in his early 90s, he gave an invitation to all the young adults in the church. And his specific invitation was to read all the verses in the topical guide about Jesus Christ. There's something like 58 subheadings and more than 2,000 verses. So this is a big assignment. And he said that he himself, this is now he's been an apostle for decades, he took this assignment and afterwards he told his wife, Wendy, I am a changed man. So if President Nelson has been changed by doing this intensive study on Jesus Christ, that tells me that I definitely have the opportunity to grow and probably many of us who are listening today could benefit from this type of intense Christ study. Specifically with this invitation, President Nelson said, if you proceed to learn all you can about Jesus Christ, and in context, that's referring to learning these, you know, like reading all these references in the topical guide, I promise you that your love for him and for God's laws will grow beyond what you currently imagine. I promise you also that your ability to turn away from sin will increase. Your desire to keep the commandments will soar you will find yourself better able to walk away from the entertainment and entanglements of those who mock the followers of Jesus Christ. Mm. And I'm, I don't want to, in our fence last conversation, we talked about the dangers of like, if leaders are like, Hey, you should do this, you should do this. Right, you know, right, like yeah. it can start to become a heavy burden. So I'm not trying to give anyone a heavy burden today, but if you're looking for a way to mix up your scripture study, if you're saying, Oh, you know, this is, I'd like to do something to connect me more with Christ. President Nelson's challenge is amazing. And I actually took it up when I was living in Jerusalem for a year. 
I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to go to the temple for a year. So I'll just allocate my temple time. I'll, I'll use that to study these verses in the topical guide. And it changed me. Yeah. It brought me closer to Jesus Christ in a deep way. And so whether I'm a parent or a leader, I think the first step is to make sure that I myself really am focused on Jesus Christ yeah. in my studies, in my heart. And my guess is probably most of us think we are like, even today, I think, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. But my guess is five years from now, I'll look back and say, whoo, I was not doing that great back then. There's still a lot more for me to go. Yeah. And I'm curious with uh, advice you'd have in the context of come follow me, because, you know, it's easy to sort of get in this checkbox of come follow me, though. It's this great, you know, approach and program. I don't know what to call it, but, you know, the, the curriculum that church has provided to engage us in, in the scriptures. And I found that especially in the the old, as we study the Old Testament, like there's sort of, as a child and even my six-year-old boy, he loves the, the Where's Waldo books. And you can just sit there and look. I almost love playing Where's Jesus in these stories of like, no, he's on every page here. I just know he is. And maybe it doesn't seem like it as they tell this random story about porridge, but I know Jesus is here. And so to reflect on that, it's been, it's really enhanced my come follow me approach of being like, yeah, there's some great questions and there's some, you know, doctrines here, but where's Jesus? And the more I seek him there, it enriches the study. Anything you'd add to come follow me and seeking Jesus? I love that idea. And I think you're exactly right. It's so easy. I think, especially in the Old Testament and even in the Book of Mormon, to get just caught up in the storyline. So I'm trying to memorize like the facts and figures and who's Judah and how does he relate to Jacob. But if I do stop to just say, okay, now wait, where is Jesus here? We'll find him all over the place. Just today we were reading in our family's Come Follow Me about Jacob's ladder. So Jacob, you know, sees angels ascending and descending to heaven on a ladder. And it turns out that the phrase angels ascending and descending only appears two times in scripture. This one with Jacob's dream And the other is in John chapter one, when Jesus says, you will hereafter see angels ascending and descending on the son of man. And so he's clearly making a reference back to Jacob's ladder saying in the dream, the path to heaven was through this ladder that Jacob saw, but you're going to see angels ascending on me, the son of man. I am the path to heaven. And so rather than just, you know, talking about this passage in Genesis chapter 28 of angels, we were able to see in our family study this direct connection to Jesus Christ. And those kind of connections are all over the place yeah. in every book of scripture. Yeah. My mind also goes to, you know, back to this, the general concept we sort of started with, but sometimes we just get these routines and phrases and, you know, we're, we're human. That's just sort of what our brain wants to do is have these rote uh, scripts and whatnot. Oftentimes I had a, a close friend who has a daughter who got in a pretty serious car accident. She was in, you know, intensive care and, and you can just begin to imagine what, what that does to, I mean, you can't, you can't just go to work or just to go through your, and so I reached out to him. Right. And, and you see this on social media a lot where people it's like, Hey, we're praying for you, which is great. You know, we should pray for these and be, but we almost do it in this like way of like, maybe if we get enough people that agree to pray, we'll force God to fix all this. Right. And I've sort of, tried to reflect on maybe a better approach of when I go to somebody, because I don't know, it's helpful, but I want something more. Like I want to bring the healer, the great healer into this. And so I've gone back to saying, you know what? And this is what I said to my friend, I'm going to pray for you. And I hope that this works out. But most of all, I just hope this takes you to the cross of Jesus. And I hope you find him there in a deeper way as you go through this really difficult time, because he is what will heal this. Like whatever happens, like he is what'll be there for you rather than maybe a 
a general phrase that way. I don't know. Any mm. thoughts on that? Wow, that's a beautiful sentiment because I, I feel the same way. And I think I might steal, steal, okay. your, <laughs> steal, steal your line there. I think that's a great. Good. Well, and that's sort of like these topics take me to that. Just really being intentional of resetting, I guess, of saying, what are those little things I do that maybe I miss them or I skip, I step over the savior just because I'm not thinking about it, you know, and there's, there's more we can do. Maybe one simple example. And I mean, you just shared kind of a, a tragic one when my hopes are dashed, but think about all the different things I could hope for. I hope I get a raise. I hope I get a promotion. I hope we can sell our house or buy this house. There's so many things that we hope for, but in the scriptures, the word hope almost never is used in connection to some kind of temporal outcome. It's almost always focused on Christ. Like I have a hope in the resurrection or a hope for the atonement. And so that's like a little word detail where anytime I say like, oh, I hope, you know, that such and such a thing happens. Maybe I can just, I'm not saying it's wrong or bad to use that right. phrase at all, but I can remind myself, oh, my real hope is centered in Jesus Christ. If my happiness is based on my physical abilities or my looks, I'm going to be disappointed at some point as time inevitably takes yeah. its toll, right? Or if my hope is centered on stuff, eventually when the economy takes a downturn, I'm going to be disappointed. Or if my hope is centered in family members, eventually someone's going to do something that bugs me, right? But if my hope is centered in Jesus Christ, then I have that firm foundation. Yeah, that's powerful. So maybe in this course you're doing, this, is it 29? 28. 28, 28 classes. classes are just yeah. a few. That's, I mean, where do you even begin? Like, what are some of the bigger points that you hope to cover in 29, 29 lessons? I'm sure you could do 100, but I mean, how do you, how did you start uh, framing this? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I kind of wanted to constrain myself because you're right. And, and who knows, maybe once we finish 28, then we'll start inviting <laughs> guest speakers to, you know, because clearly you could do 30 classes just on artwork about Jesus or movies yeah. about Jesus. But what I tried to do is say, okay, if we were going to try to constrain ourselves like you would in a regular class, you know, regular classes don't go on forever. It's a semester or something like that. I thought, well, we got to focus primarily on the scriptures. So we'll do a few like Jesus in the Old Testament. And I want to spend most of our time on the mortal Messiah. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is probably half the course is going to be there in Christ's mortal life. But then also looking at how does Christ continue to lead the church in Acts? What do later writers like Paul teach about Jesus Christ? And what does the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants and modern prophets add to our understanding? And for me, one of the most fun parts is in addition to looking at scriptures, viewing Christ through different angles. For example, there are so many pieces of artwork about Jesus Christ. What can art teach us about the Savior? What do movies, what does music teach us about the Savior? What does modern scholarship teach us about the Savior? You know, honestly, for me growing up, I felt like, you know, I went to seminary, served a mission. I read, I even read Jesus the Christ. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like, well, I'm, I'm pretty much done. Yeah. But as a religion professor, I've seen like, actually there's hundreds, thousands and thousands of pages written about even a specific topic that we might think, oh, for example, the parables, you know, like, oh, I've heard, I've heard all the parables, but here's this scholar that wrote a 900 page book analyzing every aspect of the parables. So part of what I hope to do in this course is to let people be aware of additional resources. Mm. So we'll spend, you know, a 40 minute class on Christ and parables and that's, it'll be a good overview class, but here's some resources. If you want to dive deeper don't constrain yourself to maybe the few resources that you've kind of always gone to. There's a host of ways to approach Jesus. Yeah. And with these additional resources, are they typically from just like other faith perspectives or people outside of the Latter-day Saint tradition that speaking of, of Christ or? Yeah, it's a mix. I mean, some yeah. are clearly going to be Latter-day Saint authors that are amazing. Others are scholars. 
a woman named Joan Taylor wrote a great scholarly book on what did Jesus actually look like. Mm. So you can kind of view that from that perspective. And then, then, as you said, there's a host of wonderful Christians of other faiths who have written amazing books about Jesus Christ yeah. or podcasts or YouTube videos. And, and so not all of the resources are books, several are other types of media. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot. What are like some two or three like resources, books or whatever of things that we may not immediately think of as Latter-day Saints that maybe where people could start with other resources? Uh, that's a great question. So one of those would be a book uh, called by Raymond Brown called The Death of the Messiah. Mm. So it's more than a thousand pages just focused on the final 24 hours of Christ's life. Wow. It's a little bit, it's a little bit scholarly and he's got a simpler version called The Crucified Christ and Holy Week if you know, kind of want like the more applicable version. But it's really fun to see this Catholic scholar who's exhaustively studied you know, this one topic, just go deep into it. I'm just kind of looking at my yeah, bookshelves and like, oh, okay. did this in your office, right? <laughs> um, yeah, def- definitely a good thing to do this in my office. Um, another one that I have found to be really interesting, just this is like more of a fun read, is called Jesus a Pilgrimage. In fact, since you're going to Jerusalem, you might want to get this book on Kindle for your trip. Yeah, This is by a Catholic priest, Father Martin, who goes to Jerusalem and just shares a bunch of observations that he makes and how being in Israel helps him connect with Jesus Christ in different ways. Yeah. That's so, cool. Just a couple. Yeah. That'll uh, wet our palate for sure. Any other principles, like to be speaking to a group of leaders, like to better make him, and let me, let me share this example is sometimes I'll be in a meeting, a church meeting with my wife or whatever, and she <laughs> gets tired of me and I don't, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I'm just like, I just, like, just give me Jesus, you know, like just because there's so, this restored gospel is so vast and there's so many angles. It's it's fascinating that, yeah, there could be a really interesting talk about family history. And that person is going to share two stories about how they found this ancestor and they took him to the temple and like beautiful, right? But at the end of it, I'm just like, but I need healing. Like, where's Jesus in that, right? And so any other perspectives we can have about helping us get to Jesus in our day-to-day, week-to-week faith experience. Yeah. I love that experience, that kind of perspective you just shared. Thomas Griffith gave a great BYU devotional, and this would be, this is actually one of the additional resources for one of the classes that would be great to look up. And listen to the, this is just a quote from his talk. He said, he's quoting Elder Packer, the atonement of Christ is the very root of Christian doctrine. You may know much about the gospel as it branches out from there, but if you only know about the branches and those branches do not touch that root, if they have been cut free from that truth, there will be no life nor substance nor redemption in them. And then Brother Griffith goes on to talk about how when he was a stake president, I'm going to again quote from him, we lay down a rule that every sacrament meeting talk and every lesson in Sunday school, Relief Society, and priesthood meetings must be related to the atonement of Jesus Christ in a direct and express way. We told bishops that if they want to have a sacrament meeting about the principles of emergency preparedness, important principles to be sure, that meeting would be about emergency preparedness and the atonement of Jesus Christ. If you cannot figure out the link between the topic you are to teach and the atonement of Christ, you have either not thought about it enough or you shouldn't be talking about it at church. Your topic may be fine for the city council, your neighborhood organization, or the commercial break during sports center, but in our limited time in church, we must be talking about the atonement of Christ. Wow. And I think he's kind of saying what you were voicing. Yeah, yeah. And the more members of ward council, I think, feel that way and kind of brainstorm, how can we do this? I think that will help address the issue that you were just thinking about. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really helpful. And and you know, this is topic is you know bringing people, seeking Jesus, bringing people, putting him at the center. What else do we need to consider? I mean, I, I sort of don't know what direction to go because it's just so vast. I guess when when we we often miss it. But anything we're missing? No, I mean honestly, I think that like many things with the gospel, it's pretty simple. Yeah, uh, we don't have to like make it complicated. We don't have to make a fourteen point plan. Yeah, right. It's just, hey, how can I focus more on Jesus Christ? Yeah. And in area, every aspect of my life, whether it's my prayers, my temple attendance, my scripture study, as I approach it with that paradigm, then I think the answers will come. Yeah, cool. So anything else we need to know as far as the, the course? I know this is sponsored by Book of Mormon Central, right? Yeah, they're doing like the video production for it. Okay. So it, it was originally designed as a video course. So if you just search Seeking Jesus on YouTube, you can find it there. But because I know, at least for me, a lot of my consumption is while I'm driving. So I'm not watching YouTube videos. I'm listening to podcasts. Yeah. So there's a podcast version just without the visuals. And you could find that wherever you search for podcasts looking for Seeking Jesus. Cool. Awesome. The last question I have for you is just from your own personal experience, like if someone was to ask you, how has Jesus changed you? Like, how would you respond? I think, well, I mean, how much time do we have? Uh, we got plenty. <laughs> Christ has changed me in many ways. I think one thing is just feeling a greater love. The more my heart is filled with the love of Jesus, and, and I'll be honest, I still have a long ways to go. I'm definitely not there yet. But there are times when my heart feels really full of Jesus Christ. And then I treat people differently. I'm not as angry. I'm not as impatient because I feel the love that the Savior has for them. And so I think for me, the short answer would be love and assurance. Because there's a lot of hard things that have happened to me. There's a lot of hard things that happened to you and we all go through challenges. But if I can, here's an example. So this, the song, if the savior stood beside me, when I first heard that song, it kind of was like, Hey, don't do bad stuff. Cause if the savior stood beside you, you wouldn't say that. But lately I've been thinking about it in terms of a challenge. Let's say that I'm facing a very difficult time in my life. If the savior stood beside me, how would I feel? How would I think? And I, I'd be strengthened. Even though it's a difficult time, if the Savior really were standing beside me, I would find comfort, hope, and peace. And that's what I felt in my life the more I center my thoughts and my actions on Him. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. That concludes my interview with uh, John Hilton. A little bit shorter of an episode, which means you have more time to go to the show notes, click on the Seeking Jesus course over at YouTube, and get started. Jump into session one and you're going to love it and learn along with me and uh, definitely leave comments, thumbs up over there on YouTube as you go through that and give John additional feedback there. But I'm so grateful for John and I look forward to his next project. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.